Wednesday night, unveiling their new strip. Uh, quite why the England shirt should have the colours of the Union Jack remains a mystery. I'm really happy with it. I'm happy with the colours and the fit. It's really comfortable. I think they've improved it on last year's kits, which is which is always nice. And they did a, a segment on goalkeeper kits and psychology and things like that. And unbeknownst, I was just daydreaming. What a load of rubbish this is! <laughs> like, and it, I'm here to learn about goalie coaching, and then up popped up me on the screen, like with this cheesy grin on. <laughs>
Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You know, they didn't have to make a change with that way. But one thing I did feel about it is to make it work, they've had to replace the natural cave of the sea that FC provided because, of course, clubs need to be global brands now and they can't admit that they're a football club that's passe. They've had to cave the serifs at the top and bottom of the eye in order to make it a part of a circle, a roundel. And I just feel that looks a little bit forced. And although I don't immediately think of gold when I think of Inter, I do think removing the gold as as taking something that was a real plus point of the of the previous crest and the the many changes it had undergone. I, I, yeah. I do feel that's a bit of a downgrade. And and as well, like you say, the ends of the eye are curved and to kind of keep the circular team they've added white curves uh, you know to, to complete the circle but then you're kind of saying what does the o stand for it looks like imo which to me means the irish medical organization <laughs> so it, it would it have been better without those perhaps and, and another thing just looking at their previous crests is how often obviously they've had the gold in there as an accent but you've had a nice kind of uh the complementing between the blue and the black um but the, the, there seems to be a different shade of blue with this one yeah and i think this is a much bigger issue than the crest we'll we'll get used to crests over time but you know we're in the business of talking about kits primarily but a change of shade of color you know that that's quite a, a big deal and I think with this, this is one of those things where the idea behind it and the narrative behind it is much better than the actual execution. Making a colour more vibrant is a bit of a modern cliche anyway. It's another one of those immediate statements graphic designers say, oh, we made it a more vibrant vibrant shade of blue. Fresher. Looks better on the internet. But So so the the rationale behind this is they've used a colour called International Klein Blue. So you can see a you know colour with the word international in it. Yeah, I can see how, how that appeals to them and it's blue. And the guy who came up with it was Yves Klein. He was a French artist and he was known for doing a series of monochrome paintings in different cities and the colour he used was unique to each city. And when he exhibited in Milan, he used blue. So there's your link there between yeah. international Klein Blue and the city of Milan. And and afterwards, I mean, Picasso, he had a blue period. Klein decided he liked this shade of blue so much that he was only ever going to paint using this. And he made this big deal of the blue was the art. So he had, he did like a series of canvases that were just in this blue. And he decided, uh, I think he, he described this blue as the most perfect expression of blue. But because he was doing just blue canvases, and it was meant to be this pure blue. It wasn't really meant to be mixed with other colours. It was just supposed to be blue on its own. And I actually think this darker shade of blue doesn't really work with black. You know, the lighter blue that they've got this season, regardless of whether you like the, the zigzag design or not, that shade of blue really pops when it's confined between black stripes. But the darker blue could potentially get a little bit lost with the yeah. black. We've seen Inter do this before, where a couple of years ago the, the blue went almost navy, but from afar the, the kit just looked black, really. Yeah, yeah. 
my own personal favourite would be the kind of late 80s, early 90s, where it was a lovely bright shade of blue when they won the, the Scudetto with the, the, the three Germans. And, and Nike returned to that, I think, maybe 2014, 15, uh, a good uh, modern reinterpretation of it. But it's interesting to note that the first appearance of the new crest has been on this uh, Saved by the Bell credits-inspired fourth kit. <laughs> and there's actually no blue on the crest on that that... I suppose one positive, some people will say were heretics, but a positive from my point of view is that the the new design allows for easier recolouring of the crest. Mm, and I don't, I don't mind that as as long as it's sympathetic to the colour of shirt you're using. Now, I would agree with you there because when I see this new crest on a blue or black background, I, I don't think it looks right. But on this new fourth kit, They've rendered it in yellow, and actually, I think it works. Yeah, it, it looks better as a crest than it does when you see it in the club's colours, and that might cause a bit of a problem. And then you've got the wider issue of um, this, you know, quite gaudy, deliberately gaudy fourth kit, and you do wonder if we're coming to sort of this end of an epoch of the bold designs. You know, I, I just wonder if this is peak massive graphic design, and this into fourth kit is going to slowly usher in a new era of slightly more sober kit designs, we'll say. Yeah, and the the Interfort kit is uh, it's the perfect example of something that you've commented on before of a shirt um, being released rather than a kit being released and uh, the pictures not having any uh, shorts or socks with them. So we'll see. Change of direction mightn't be a bad thing. No, change isn't always good, but it can be. I think history will be the judge of this one. Absolutely. In previous episodes, we've spoken to kit designers, and last time around we spoke to a player about the notable goalkeeper jerseys he's worn. So this time we wanted to get the perspective of somebody responsible for the day-to-day management of kit and equipment, and on match days meeting the kit needs of a squad of players. So we're joined by a personal trainer, sports monsieur, and accidental kit man. Uh, Mark Rowe became Walsall's kit man in September 2019, but he might be better known for giving Joe Wicks a run for his money with dance workouts on the Black Country Club's Facebook page. Mark, it's a privilege to speak with you. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Hi, how are you doing? You've done your research on <laughs> me there. Wow, where have you dug that info from? Well, so all uh, police have been very accommodating with, with our requests. Uh, uh, <laughs> you probably got more on me then. <laughs> <laughs> So, Mark, you've had quite an unusual route to becoming a kit man. Tell us about that. Yes. Um, so, yeah, um, prior to this, I was a personal trainer uh, working locally where the players were attending. But because I my background is not football, I didn't really know who they were. So you'd make your pleasantries and you talk to your members, et cetera, et cetera. So I knew all these lads said, all right, to um, seeing what their goals were and just cracked on. And it just so happened that the one day, one of the lads made a comment saying, oh, I've got to be careful about what I do in my job. So I said, oh, what do you do for a living? And he announced that he was the goalie for Warsaw Football Club. And I was like, oh, wow. And that was um, our Liam Roberts. So with that then, I'd, I'd already been speaking to John Whitley about coming down for a day and seeing how they train, et cetera, because of my personal training side. 
Um, and then by that time, I'd qualified with a sports massage, sports injury. Um, so I was invited down by the current physiotherapist, uh, Mark Churchman. That was supposed to be a day visit that turned into two seasons, voluntary work, and then went into a position where uh, our previous Tom Kitman left the company and I was offered the position. So I thought, you know, it's a foot in the door. Let's go for it. So it, it, it was unusual. I did wonder if John Whitney was involved in this story because Walsall have got a bit of form for people having dual roles, given that he was the physiotherapist who, who then became assistant manager and later the manager. And, That's you know, right. to, to give it context, as a whole City fan, I love John Whitney. He, he was part of a group of players that came when Hull City were bottom of the entire football league. They turned the season around and saved us. And I, I love John Whitney's full-blooded approach. And it, it did amuse me that a man who did a two-footed lunge on an opponent in every game, who must certainly have been responsible for his fair share of injuries, turned himself to a profession where he was working on those injuries. <laughs> yeah. I, unfortunately, I didn't get to um, work with him a lot it was a case of I just started in and unfortunately he left us but so I didn't get that much of time with him and then because I was sort of in the medical room I, I never kind of saw that side of things but yeah he he, he was a part of it he, he got me kind of an intro into it and and so Mark r- rugby is your sport is it rugby union uh, yeah I, I'm a Welsh boy <laughs> So rugby was, you know, force-fed to me in school and, uh, you know, you grow up with it. Uh, I'm glad that we're coming on this now and we've just previously won the Six Nations. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been you embarrassing. You kind of backed into it, though, didn't you, with the, the defeat to France. You needed the Scots. Move to on. Work. Move on. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say was, has it been an impediment in any way or has it been an advantage in some ways? that you're not coming into the job with any preconceptions or prejudices that you might have if you had been a, a real football fan? Yes and no, and on both aspects of that. So there was a transition for me, and it was quite an unusual one for me getting my head around football. I ain't going to lie. If there was a dummy's guide to football, I would have been sat reading it. I was clueless. All the forward passes. Oh, uh, nothing. I, I was sat the one day with one of the players' mums and I was going, well, that should be a scrum, shouldn't it? And I was going, no, there's no scrum. So I just felt like a complete div. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just looking. I was like, oh, that's similar. So th- there are some traits that are similar, but yeah, different shape balls and all that and uh, different mentality as well and playability. So there was a lot to adapt to and like the the attitudes in players' behaviours as well was was different as well. So there was a lot of contrast there. And to answer the question about non-biased, et cetera, I was actually took on for that exact reason. Yeah. I was asked what I did, explained what I did, and like you've mentioned my background, because there was no nothing for me to be biased in any way. I was offered the, the job on that that note. Yeah. So. That's good. It's Still a refreshing do. approach. Yeah. Mm. Now it's interesting that you, you took the role on in late 2019. So that means COVID-19 has been a factor in your role for longer than it hasn't. I'm just fascinated to know how your role has been shaped by that. You know, can you give us some insights into what kit manning during COVID means? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so I'm now basically an octopus. 
um, is is the best way to describe it. And um, if you can stick a broom anywhere, crack on because it's needed, right? So dual roles had to be, were already in place. Multiple roles then had to be adopted. So I've obviously become more qualified in the medical aspect. So I've been with the medical department. I do the kit man role. I've been doing the laundry side of things. You know, it, it's just, you know, in in all fairness, I kind of like it that way because I'm quite OCD when things are being prepped. So I literally know where everything is at any given moment. So I like that aspect. So it is going to be an adjust for me to sort of hand it back over and go, there you go. And I don't know what's going on kind of a thing. But on the flip side, like you mentioned, I came in late and I didn't really get opportunity to learn that role as it should be. Mm. So I kind of come in and then took it over and made it my own. And COVID's kind of been a blessing in that aspect because you take it on, you control everything. So in a way, when COVID is over, my job's going to come a lot easier. <laughs> so you can't imagine a time where you're not having to disinfect corner flags. Oh, <laughs> yes, the disinfecting of everything. Oh, <laughs> who doesn't love this? <laughs> do, you know, do you know what we need? Like a sheep pit, you know, where they, they, they dump the sheep? That's, that's what we need, just a collective uh-huh. bath. Throw it in, job done. So, but and, yeah, it's 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 been an eye opener. And, and what what percentage of your time does the kit man role take up? Or, or like, can you give us an insight into an average day if such a thing exists? <laughs> right. Okay. So on a day where all kit is done is prepped, it's an easier day. So I would just basically prep for the day's training. So i.e. prepping the balls getting your cones ready, getting, you know, your basics, bibs and so on, and then just getting that out. Then you can just sort of stand around, watch the lads train, just assist them. Or if you've got other little sort of menial jobs to do, you can just pop on with them. So it's a little bit easier like that. When it's day before or after a game, it's all hands on deck. You know, you've got to, you've got to go, you've got to get everything prepped, make sure everything's there, you know, that's needed to be there. The day after, it's washing that kit again. Uh, you know, you do get sick of the sight of kit. And just think, I'm sure I washed this like yesterday. <laughs> but um, it, it, it's pros and cons and does swing in roundabouts. You do have quieter days, but then I'll throw myself into the medical and assist the, the physio. So I'm one of them that if I'm not working, I will find something to do. I, I like to earn my money and not stand around. Yeah. <laughs> so in that aspect, I'm always busy just because that's how I am. (laughs) And do you look after all the teams in the club or are there a few other um, kit men or women? It's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Who don't love a challenge, right? (laughs) Uh, But I am only looking after the first team. There has been pictures on social media of players getting changed in concourses, in hospitality suites, that kind of thing. Has, Has there been any strange places the teams had to get changed at an away game? Uh, we get changed in a lot of bars, which which is great. Unfortunately, they're not open. But you know, uh, that's about the strangest as it's got. I mean, but in fairness, they're a lot bigger than the standard changing rooms, so you've got a lot of space to put all your kit. And again, it goes in your favour. And like obviously, at the moment, because there was a late start to the season, it, it's a, a case of catch up, really. Um, especially in the football league where it's playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. 
how much of a logistical issue is that for you in terms of laundering kits and just having the equipment ready every three days? Well, it's constant, isn't it? So like I said before, like you're always on the go with it. You just find a way, don't you? If, if it's got to work, it's got to work. You will find that way. Even if it means me um, coming from an away game on a Tuesday night, so half one, two o'clock in the morning, I'll stick a wash on. You know, who needs sleep, right? We've got plenty of time to sleep when we're dead, right? <laughs> but you just find it. Or um, recently we've been training at the stadium, for example, which was great for me. So I'd come in, get the lads ready to go on their, their training. I go crack on with the kit. So it's just easy. And at the moment, how it'll work now is I'll get them ready up there. I'll come down to the stadium and just work on my own for a bit. It's a lonely old job. <laughs> Has that quick turnaround of games influenced your choice of what kit you've worn in an away game? So, say if you've got a quick turnaround from a home game, then an away game can have the away kit or the third kit already packed ahead of time. Has, has that influenced what kit you've worn in any games? No, not at all. Um, what I will usually do with the club is I will have a look at the the monthly game rotor, if you like, and then I will sit there, I will look at the kit, it depends on the sensitivity of the manager and what colours they will allow for the kit. So uh, our previous um, manager didn't want any connection whatsoever with the other team's kit. So I would go, right, fair enough. I would then go through all of the kit, rotor it out, send that to the uh, our chairman and the secretaries and say, this is what I propose. And then that's usually what they do. So, for example, if there was two home games for on a Saturday, Tuesday, I will just make sure that that was there ready for the Tuesday easy <laughs> and like is there is there communication with kitman from other clubs ahead of the game that you know you're letting them know we'll be wearing xyz does that yep. suit you that kind of thing yeah so again in the emails that i put forward through to the club secretaries etc they will use that and then they know that i'm working from the same page and then they'll send an email out and say, this is our proposed kit colours. If there's any variants that come up, for example, they'll just get in contact with us and say, can we just change that? And and I'm tagged in all the emails, so I'll just read them and go, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thinking of that, that, I'm just thinking of that managerial preference and, and its impact on the kits you've got. So area we've given you like a very... 80s Hungary look this season and then the away kit's got a Italian anti-Czechoslovakia look to it. It's a very Eastern European theme um, with Walsall's kits this season but is that the reason then why you've used the third kit more this season because that yellow isn't going to have any part of the home team they're, they're unlikely to be wearing red and yellow or? No, not so much that. We, we have a, a dictionary or a directory of like every every team's colours, basically. So I will look at that, look at what their home team is. And then if there's any match, I will just try to avoid it um, the best I can. If if I'm too close and I can't, because there are some games where you just cannot avoid it, um, it's, I just put it into the you know, powers that be and just say, look, this is what I propose. What's your thoughts on it? And then they'll give me a definitive answer. You know, pass the buck kind of thing. So, <laughs> and then they'll just tell me yes or no on it. Problem I did have is our third kit color was predominantly white. What's the most common color in football kit? White. <laughs> so, um, so it was just unfortunate. I mean, it is unfortunate because it's a great kit, our third kit. It's just the way it's panned out, unfortunately. 
you compared there was all home kit to Hungary with the white shirts and green or sorry the white shorts and green socks, but I'm sure Mark would say it's more like a Wales rugby kit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And if you noticed, if you did watch our, our um, Newport game, I insisted that we were in the red. <laughs> I was like, I want that Welsh-looking kit. Once you've cleared a kit by the manager and then the chairman, uh, the secretary and the other team's kit man, you've, you've then got the referee to consider. Have you found much difference between various referees and how stringent they are on Law 4 and its accompanying guidance? They've been brilliant, actually. Um, again, because of the way that it's usually myself and Dan Moll that are, are the ones that are communicating between the two. It kind of is more of what I say kind of goes. Not in an arrogant way, but it's just more like this is what I predict and they go with it kind of thing. Uh, and they gave me a bit more free reign. He will then send that communications across the board. And then usually from that, if there's any sort of com conflict with it, will communicate through the emails and it's done well ahead of time so when it comes to game day it's just like a quick email oh yeah that's going to clash and then i'll just change it on my thing so it's there waiting for me and as we all know footballers can be known to be prima donnas are there any unusual requests that you have to deal with in terms of their kits yeah usual so we've got People that want particular socks, people that want particular underwear, people that have to have a certain top. You're going to get them in any club you're going to go to. And I bet there's kit men across the board and are going, yes. <laughs> um, and if they're not there, the world will end and an apocalypse <laughs> will start. And um, yeah, yeah it, it's just your usuals. There's no, there's no specifics. So. Yeah. The way I provide you with footless socks the cutoffs, yeah, we have them anyway. We do order them in because our first team do prefer playing with those as opposed to the full lengths. But yes, there are those. There's one in particular. He does it every time. I'll give him a brand new pair of cutoffs because he likes his cutoffs, and then he'll cut them off even shorter. I'm like, <laughs> use the previous ones you've cut. No. <laughs> so yeah, I've gone through a fair few pair of brand new cutoff socks with one individual. What's the most awkward part of the job you have to deal with? Getting kit into cramped locations. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we'll, we'll talk pre-COVID because a lot of current COVID is you're stuck in a massive room, which is amazing. Yeah. But I've been to, well, I say individual, I've been to clubs where I've seen bigger shoe boxes uh, and I put the, a bag of balls in there uh, and that's it, the room's full kind of thing. <laughs> so there are those where you are tested on how well you can play Tetris with human people <laughs> and kit and staff. And, you know, <laughs> it's, that that's the most challenging. And do you have to, to clean the boots or is that still done by youth players or is it left to the players themselves? The players. It's done by the players, although I have seen recently and there's a money-making scheme that's going on here that kit men charge players to do their boots so i'm like i have been out of money all this time <laughs> <laughs> but now the, the players do look after their own boots some will take them themselves they don't want them in the boot bag with everybody else's um and then that meticulous with them but no they, they, they look after their own boots so before covid when you had fans in the ground you had your own chant tell us about that <laughs> 
You guys, how are you finding this out? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I did, apparently. Marky, row, row, row. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know where it came from, in, in all fairness. It started at one sort of section of the, the stands. I, I was just on pitch the one day, as, as you do. Uh, and chants were going, but you hear that many chants, you switch off. And it was Mike Taylor that actually stopped me and went, are they singing about you? <laughs> so I was looking over my shoulder and I was like, yeah, cheering. And I was like, uh, yeah, apparently so. He's like, do you know? I was like, no, <laughs> I ain't got a clue. Um, and it kind of stuck and it kind of got bigger and bigger in, in the stadium. And I loved it. You know, who wouldn't? And I, I used to like mess about with our, our, um, our logo, Swifty, as well like when he was on pitch and I'd pick on him a lot. And I think it may just stem from that or people that knew me from my previous job as a personal trainer that now sort of see me within the club or I, I wouldn't say popular person. I'm known in the area. So, <laughs> bit of a, a lively character. And uh, I, I presume that, like you say, being a lively character has probably been a factor in the popularity of the, the fitness videos during the over in the lockdown yeah again that's going back to my personal trainer days and yeah i got myself mixed in with zumba which believe it or not started as a like as a quick fix in a previous employment that they needed an instructor i said oh i'll do it because people were moaning and everyone loved it and it just stuck and it, it it's just got me recognized everywhere so it's just stuck and stuck so I, you know i wanted to do something for the club i i owe a lot to this club and my loyalty is with the club. They've done a lot for me. They've really treated me well. So I, I owe them and I will stick by them. So I wanted to do my little bit. And that's what my little bit was, even though it's probably a big bit shaking on the screen. But, you know. <laughs> and were you surprised at, at how, how well received they were? Couldn't believe it. When we were getting like over 10,000 views. And it, it was astonishing. Um, I really wanted to carry it on. But... Politics got in the way, unfortunately, and we had, we had to stop it um, sort of from an external point of view, which was disappointing for the club. But no, I did enjoy it. I mean, it was it got me out of bed first thing in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was good fun. Going back to the playing kit, I noticed that Walsall have got next season's third kit out. Have you ever sought your input? Have you had any involvement in, in sort of the next kit will be? Yes, I have actually. The first season I came, it was kind of on the cusp of where they were picking it. So I didn't have a say in that. And it was put there. But this year, because I'm so meticulous about how I work, I wanted an input. I wanted to know everything from start to finish for the season. So I wanted that input. So I was shown some of the uh, proposals. I put across what I liked uh, and what I think would be good and what the players would like. I even thought it would be best if we got our captain in and said, look, I'm going to show you as well, see what you think. So everyone was kind of involved in it. But kit numbers and everything, yeah, I've been working more closely with those uh, and ordering quantities and uh, what's coming in um, and so on. Just, I like, I mean, I'm controlling. <laughs> mm. I found it quite interesting that Area described, uh, they've got a new fabric, what they call Tri-Energy. And they said the thing they've gone with this time is it's got antiviral and antimicrobial properties. So sort of even the way kits have been produced has been shaped by the pandemic a little bit. 
It is, but at the end of the day, if something's going to be transferred, it's going to be transferred. So it doesn't matter what you're going to stick on. It's going to have to go through the same process, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's great that, you know, the technology and the materials is moving forward. I mean, we've seen clubs using things like bamboo, which is more economically friendly um, for kit. It's, you know, so yeah, it's great stuff. I mean, as long, as long as it washes well and it looks good when I've washed it, that's all I care about. <laughs> That's the, that's the bottom line, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. If it comes off a pitch and it's looking like it's been dragged down the M6 several times, like, <laughs> no, that ain't going to fly. But no, I think fair play to it. Long term, do you see your role changing at the club? Do you imagine going more into a medical role? I hope role? so. Um, well, the club, like I mentioned before, have been really supportive and um, my background in sports massage, sports injury, etc. I would like to see myself transferring into the medical department uh, and going down that route and coming out of the kit man sort of side of things. I mean, I'll always be here for, you know, should that you know, best case scenario happen, uh, I'll always be here for the you know, future kit men to lean back on and like I say, now nah, you saw it. I have to deal with it. Go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, given that John Whitney went from physiotherapist to manager, have you, have you got any uh, any managerial aspirations? Oh, not <laughs> at all. Do you know, I've seen the pressure that our, our like managers have been under. You can keep that job. <laughs> no amount of money is going to get me stepping in that position. I have no interest whatsoever. You're not the first physiotherapist to sort of become a kit man, though. I mean, Simon Shakeshaft, he was Hereford's kit man, but he became so known for his kit knowledge. He's now a, a published author with several books about club kit history to his name. So you never know, oh, it might stick to you. Is that going to be me? <laughs> <laughs> Our previous kit man as well, Tom, he was a physiotherapist as well. Mm. Did he have any um, advice for you when you when you took the job on? Right, this is how that went. I finished my job at 10 o'clock, uh, my previous job at 10 o'clock. By 11 o'clock, I was on my on the coach in my Warsaw kit. By half time, he then informed me that that was his last game and that he was leaving. <laughs> <laughs> That's how my role went. It, so. It's kind of like when Rodney was appointed um, chairman of the, the residence committee in Only Fools and Horses. That yeah. the guy who had previously been chairman says, "Oh, by the way, I, I'm quitting." So yeah, on exactly your own. that. My face <laughs> was just like, "Sorry, what?" <laughs> and that was at half time, and I was like, oh, "Okay, what do I do?" <laughs> so it was a case of learn the job or don't. But yeah, I did. I took it on. Wonderful. Bye. Thanks very much for your Cheers, time, man. Now. See you later. See you later. So, Les, what mashups on your mind today? Two things have inspired me to nominate the game we're going to discuss. One of them is the ongoing discussion about the paucity of long-sleeved shirt use in an age of base layers, and, and that discussion got started by Tom Gibbs of The Telegraph. And I think it's been kept rumbling by people like Classic Football Shirts, and there's been several kit discussion sites like Football Shirt Collective, they've mentioned it. And the game I'm referring to was replete with long sleeve shirts. And secondly, you and I have had an informal discussion previously about how you can categorise a mashup. And I think it's worthwhile having a proper discussion about this because the mashups we've covered in previous episodes have been what I term muskies, which is a, a mashup with a stocked kit item. So 
home shirts worn with the away shirt or any combination of elements from a team's established kits. I but thought it just been musky because they were in the kit room for too long. Could be. Uh, the instance I'm going to talk about straddles the other two categories that we've quasi established off air, and that's movies or <laughs> mashups <laughs> with borrowed items and monkeys, which is a mashup with a non kitsa item when something far removed from the established kits being used. And the instance I'm going to discuss is when Cameroon visited Wembley in 1991. So Cameroon received an invite straight after the quarterfinal meeting at Italia 90. And I guess the FA thought it was this like footballing equivalent of tea with the Queen. But when you look back on it now, it seems a little bit condescending in hindsight. It really does, doesn't it? It's like a little pat in the head. Like, you know, we'll, uh, we'll show you real football. Of course, the game was played on a, in February, a bitterly cold night. My own personal memory that night was Ireland playing Wales and Wrexham, winning 3-0. And because there was snow on the pitch, they needed that most grail of items, an orange ball. Uh, it wasn't that bad in London, but it was still Brass Monkey. Uh, whether Not to be confused with the monkey in the mashup term, of course. Cameroon, they brought their Italian 90 kit, essentially. That's right, isn't it? It is, yeah. So the borrowed items classification comes from the loan of a set of evidently quickly badged up long sleeve shirts from Umbro and and evidently they wanted the long sleeve shirts for for added warmth because there was no kit clash so naturally that becomes an MUNKI a mashup with non kits items because they arrived with an Adidas kit and of course at the time England had a sky blue third shirt whose popularity has endured obviously helped by the world in motion video and so on and the Cameroon shirts basically were a green version of this. Yeah, it works quite well with the red collar and cuff detail. But I, I remember immediately clocking that something wasn't quite right with the kit. And I presume that's from watching the terrestrial highlights that used to be shown on BBC One after the news. I didn't live in a house with a B Sky B Square reel. What I remember seeing is instantly I thought that the, the green of the shirts was just a little bit darker than what they'd worn at the World Cup. But, you know, the red trim matched. There was red umbro logos inside the white numbers, whereas the England red numbers didn't have anything in them. So I wonder if this was, you know, possibly some team wear kit they had and they, uh, they patched it up. And the Cameroon goalkeeper, Joseph Antoine Bell, he didn't have a umbro shirt because obviously his Adidas top had long sleeves anyway. So him and the three officials were the only people on the pitch in Adidas. Mm. And although, you know, we talked about long sleeve shirts, most players on the pitch did wear long sleeves, officials, goalkeepers, outfield players included, but it wasn't everyone. Evidently, Stuart Pearce felt it would sully his hard man reputation to have long sleeves. And also Lee Dixon and Des Walker went short sleeve too. And it was Ian Wright's debut uh, for England. I, I read his autobiography a few months back and he, he maintains that had he been fit enough to start the FA Cup final or replay, Bobby Robson would have taken him to the World Cup. I'm not sure how likely that was for someone without a cap, but Graham Taylor gave him the first cap that, that night. It would be impossible, really, to imagine something like this happening nowadays, wouldn't it, given the uh, complexity of uh, equipment, equipment contracts, and, of course, the fact that 
long sleeve shirts are all but obsolete. Yeah, I think that nowadays they just would have worn long sleeve base layers under their regular Italian anti shirts. And f- funnily enough, last week on my site, museumofjerseys.com, for anyone who's not aware, uh, I did a piece to mark the 24th anniversary of a very famous, uh, what should we call it, movie instance uh, mashup with borrowed items, Chelsea away to Coventry in 1997, because Coventry had had a sky blue kit for the previous few years, and so Chelsea had just worn blue at Highfield Road. And it, it must just slip Chelsea's mind that Coventry had switched to navy and sky blue stripes. So the solution was for Chelsea to wear Coventry's away shirts. And as I said in the article, you could make a case for Gianfranco Zola being the best player to wear the Coventry number nine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's quite possibly the most famous movie mashup instance there is. Um, me, I think of 2008 when my lot whole city turned up at Newcastle and they only took their all flint grey away kit and the ref wasn't having any of it and he made Hull City wear Newcastle's away shorts and socks. So that was a bit of an inversion of the Cameroon mashup. I think certainly we've, we, we've given people a, a, a starting point on, on codifying mashups. We'll, I presume we'll explore more non-standard kit pairings in the next episode. Will it be monkeys or movies? Or muskies, who knows? That's it for episode four of the Football Kit Podcast. Episode five should be with you soon, hopefully. Thanks to Mark Rowe for giving us his time and insight. And we're looking forward to speaking to you all again soon. Bye.